Good morning, church. Good morning, Patrick. Yeah, um, you know, Operation Christmas Child, that's always a a very important thing. And uh, probably more important than any year right now. now there's a lot going on. Um, you know, you look in the news, just uh, weather-wise with the environment, the earth. Who uh, the Philippines got hit? Uh, Florida's being hit right now. Puerto Rico was hit. Italy was flooded several weeks back. Canada or Alaska was hit. Um, you know, it's it's all four corners of the globe, widespread. Um, just in just in Florida alone, for sure, well over a million people without power. Um, and we'll get into other stuff, but uh, you know, it's just. Uh, Everybody is, is being affected. So you think of these, these, these other uh, countries where they don't have uh, the, the abundance of resources that we have and uh, them being hit with some kind of, you know, disaster like that. Or then, you know, Gene was talking about obviously Ukraine and the things, man's carnage and all the things that are going on there. So um, pack some boxes, bless some people, pray for uh you know, the souls of this world. It's uh, I'm very grateful for the doctrine of election. <laughs> you know, man, man in, in our carnal understanding of things, we would detest that and say, well, who is God to say that this person will be saved and this person won't be saved? The same God that said, out of all the people groups in the world, Israel, he determined would be his chosen people, his remnant people out of all the people groups not because they're wiser or smarter or more intelligent or more loving it's God's decision to choose and even within Israel itself there will be a remnant we all can agree that not all of Jewish people will be saved (laughs) this whole this whole doctrine of God before the beginning of time saying your name, saying you, you were going to be saved, that your name was going to be written in the Lamb's book of life. The Bible is clear that we are not saved by our own doing. We don't even receive the Lord of our own volition. This is something that, that, that the Holy Spirit witnesses to our spirit, and it's this supernatural act that we get convicted, we get converted, we're forever changed. We're saved by grace through faith so that no one can boast and say, oh, I came to Christ. No, you didn't. He drew you out of the muck and the mire, the pit and the darkness of this world in the depravity of your sin and my sin. He saved you with that. He deserves the amen because it's the Lord. It's all him. That's such a that's such a powerful thing to understand that to come to terms with that. And, 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 and as I've been learning, when we are enamored by the love of God, I'm talking about it, 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 it's broken down every barrier of my, my normal way of thinking. When we truly begin to grasp even a thumbnail bit of the love of Jesus Christ, it obliterates everything else. You will not walk in habitual sin if you truly have experienced the love of Jesus Christ. You can't. You see, sometimes we as Christians, we're in this, and I get it, we go through seasons. But I'm talking about, man, when we're like bummed out and it's like there's no victory. Dare I say, we have not truly experienced the love of Jesus Christ. You see, it's the same love of Jesus Christ that will compel you to look at any person in this world as your neighbor and you don't have no problem packing a box. You don't have no problem showing up here or showing up there or doing things to be used as a blessing for other people because you understand it's the love. If you truly have the love of Christ dwelling within you, how in the world can you humanly contain that love? You can't. You see, it's in. It 
invades every area and aspect of your life. You overflow with it. What did Jesus say? He is the living water. If you drink of him, you're going to be like a bubbling brook is going to flow up from within you and you can't contain it. You see, this is what living the Christian life is truly about. And it's transformative. It's amazing. It's, it's the best thing you and I could ever have. It's the best love we could ever have. No yeah. other love even holds a light to the love of Christ. You see? So let the love of Jesus Christ undergird your life. And even in your darkest times, like that song says, it'll be well with your soul. Amen? Amen. This morning we're in Revelation chapter 20. Uh, we'll be in verses 7 through 10. And uh, just, I'm excited. Like every week, it's, uh, it's going to be a, a good portion of Scripture. Hopefully, uh, this will put to rest any, any insecurities you may have of, 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 of your salvation or of, you know, uh, will Satan be defeated? That's the title of this message, the defeat of Satan. There's going to come a time where his little... Little little run is going to be over. And, uh, you know, while we're still waiting for that time to come, we need to just be about our Father's business. Amen. So uh, with that, if you can and you're able to stand, please stand for the reading of God's word. We'll be in Revelation chapter 20 once again, uh, verses 7 down through 10. And it says, And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison. And he will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. And their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, these are very strong words. Lord, you are not mincing what you say. You are making it crystal clear that there are two paths in this life. There is heaven and there is hell. There is life and there is death. There is eternal life and then there is eternal death. Father, may we be those who receive that eternal life from you, that we are part of that first resurrection. And it all stems from your son, Jesus Christ. May you be highly exalted for you are righteous and holy. You are just and you are true. There is none like you, Father. We praise you that you love us so much that you pursue us, Lord, that even in our depraved state, you would reconcile us. You would receive us back to yourself. Father, thank you for creating us creating in us clean hearts and renewing us in us right spirits. Father, we need the presence of your Holy Spirit so much more than we needed him yesterday. May we not grieve the Holy Spirit, but may we walk in step in alignment with him. May we partner with him. May you give us the love and the wisdom that only comes from you to be able to live a life that is valued by you, that we would be a blessing to those around us. May we bring honor and glory to your name. It's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Last week, we, we dove right into Revelation chapter 20. We learned about the thousand-year reign of Jesus on this earth, along with Satan being bound for a thousand years. In that, in that season, the, the saints of old caught up, the caught-up church, that is us, and the tribulation saints will all be granted Authority by Jesus Christ to stand alongside him in judgment over all those who were not part, who will not be part of the first resurrection. I was asked a great question last week after service, and the question was, who are the parents of those who are living in the earth during the millennial reign of Jesus Christ? It's a great question. And uh, as, a, as, as a wise pa pastor once told me, if you don't know the answer, just say, I'll get back to you. 
Don't just say anything just to try to appease somebody or just say something because you might say something foolish. You might say something wrong. So I had a little bit of time to look into that. And what I found was uh, Zechariah chapter 14, verse 16 tells us that those who refuse to worship Jesus Christ in Jerusalem come from the families of the earth, indicating that these are children and grandchildren of those who entered into the millennium who are now living all over the earth. The parents who gave birth to these people are those who were saved after the rapture and are still alive in their natural bodies at the second coming of Jesus Christ. For your homework, if you want to, you can go ahead and read Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 down through 46. This details this clearly for us. This passage, as I'll paraphrase it, paraphrase it tells us that there is something called the separation or judgment of the sheep and the goats. Pray for whoever that's going to. The sheep and goats refer to righteous and unrighteous, excuse me, Gentiles. Christ will be judging the unrighteous Gentiles. These will be the goats. And uh, they will be cast into the lake of fire for eternal punishment. That's uh, actually the last verse in Matthew chapter 25 uh, in this portion of scripture, verse 46. So no unbelieving Gentiles will survive to live on into the millennial kingdom. No saved, or no unbelieving Gentiles, excuse me. The righteous Gentiles or sheep will live on in the millennial kingdom. They will give birth to children who will populate the earth. Also, when Christ returns, all Israel will trust in him. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10 tells us, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleads for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him who they have pierced, that's obviously Jesus Christ, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one who weeps over the firstborn. Just just trek with me here, because I'm, I'm trying to make this all come together. They too, speaking of uh, these Jews here, will not receive glorified bodies since they live through the great tribulation. They also will produce children during the millennial kingdom. So we have believing Gentiles, Israel, and resurrected, raptured believers, all whom have glorified bodies will occupy the earth, meaning the caught up church, right? But believers with glorified bodies will not be reproducing children. We know that. There's no marriage in the next life. Matthew chapter 22, verse 30 tells us, for in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Children born during the millennial kingdom will have the responsibility of faith in Christ as all people of past ages have had. Unfortunately, not all the children that are born during the millennial kingdom will come to faith in Jesus Christ. You see, those who don't will be led away and led astray by Satan into rebellion against God at the end of the millennial kingdom when Satan is let loose for a short time. That's kind of what we're going to touch on this morning. But many of these people will be saved and will live until the second coming of Jesus Christ. They are the people who will enter the millennial millennium excuse me, in their natural bodies and will repopulate the earth. We know that, again, only saved people enter the millennium. So these believers are those who accepted Christ after the rapture. We're going to be caught up. (laughs) We're not going to be a part of that. But there's going to be a generation of people that are not going to be caught up. And those are the people that are in the millennium. You see, God, in his infinite wisdom, kept them alive through the tribulation period for a special purpose so they could repopulate the earth during the millennium. You see, even in... Even in that state of judgment, the Lord is so gracious. And remember that that predestination, he already predetermined certain people are going to be safe. Certain people are going to receive him. Just like he already foreknew, you look back at Pharaoh, Pharaoh was going to have a hardened heart. Because the Bible says, God hardened Pharaoh's heart, Moses hardened Pharaoh's heart, and Pharaoh himself hardened his heart. Now, we know that God is a God of free will. I've had this discussion many times, and some people, they just are so adamant that I'm wrong. I don't care about who's wrong and who's right, but I truly believe God gave Pharaoh what he wanted. 
God pre knew. He knew. He foreknew that Pharaoh was going to have a hardened heart. So God said, you want to keep playing these games? I'm going to give you what you want. In the same way, people who do not turn to Christ are people that of their own admission do not subscribe to him. And he knows it. But he also knows those who he's going to receive to himself. That's why we're still here. That's why we're still alive. Because in his infinite scheme and his infinite plans, he knows that he's going to use your life, he's going to use my life to reach somebody else in our sphere of influence that has not received the gift of salvation that is part of that predestination group of people that their name's going to be in the Lamb's Book of Life. So hopefully that's clarification on on that question of, of who are the parents of the people that will be in the millennium during that time. And that leads us to our main points this morning for this message. The first one is this. Once Satan is released from the thousand years of being bound, he will try and deceive people of the earth one last time. Someone might ask the question, but why? Why, why is he still trying to deceive people? Why is he still trying to pull the veil or the wool over people's eyes? You see, did someone say because he's evil? <laughs> I, mean, that's, I mean, that's pretty much you, you summed up. You're, 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 you're preaching my sermon. For <laughs> you know, Satan's release is not intended to see whether this time in, in this prison, in a sense for him, his prison time, if it reformed him or not. You see, he is incorrectable. Satan is. Again, God knows this being he created he, he's all, uh, Satan has already premised in his heart. He has uh, set himself against God. And he will never return to a place of submission to God. You see, so, so it's not to see if he's correctable. His release is intended to see whether people, <laughs> again, God's prized possession, his people, our people, that are born into the world during this time, during the millennium, you see, everyone's going to submit to Jesus Christ simply because that's, that's what the norm is. But, but Satan's release is to see if, if this submission to the rule of Christ is genuinely from the heart of individuals. Or is it just for show? Is it just for word only? Did they experience a new rebirth or not? And we can ask ourselves this question this morning. Is your allegiance to Jesus Christ, genuine or is it not? Are you a duck or are you a dove? What do I mean by that? Well, I heard this message this morning. It was super cool. It, it, it's, really a, it's really a term that you would get from living in the Middle East. But, you know, ducks, they pretty much for the most part live in filthy conditions. And you could clean a duck up. And in an instant after this duck is clean, it's going to return to that environment that is filthy. Because it feels comfortable in the filth. But when you look at a dove, a dove is an animal that when a dove gets any kind of dirt on it, it starts pecking away because it wants to get all the dirt off. In its nature, it can't be in that nasty state. It can't be amongst the dirt. It needs to be a clean, it's a clean animal. And you take that to spiritual uh, description, a spiritual illustration. If you and I say we're Christians, when we stumble into sin or do we fall into, when we fall into sin of any kind, do we just get cleaned up and come to church and come to a prayer group and say, pray for me, do this and that. And then two months later, we're back in the mess. We're back in the pig's pen. Or are we like that dove and we say, you know what? I love the Lord so much. I'm so grateful for what he's done for me. I cannot be amongst this. That's where it goes back to the statement I made when I first started this morning. If you truly, if I truly have been affected by the love of Jesus Christ, that love, which in the same token is the fear, reverent fear of God. When you have that reverent fear of God and you filter all of your decision making through the fear of the Lord, through the love of God. You will not enable yourself to walk hand in hand in sin. You won't. You can't. What does light have with darkness? Nothing at all. They cannot coexist. Either the darkness will be consumed by the light or it will run. 
You see? And so that's that, that, that's that whole point there. But this is what's going on with the people in the millennium. They're going to have to ask themselves the question. And this is why Satan was released. That's the whole point I was trying to make. Satan is released to see, is their conversion genu- genuine or is it just a word-based thing? You see, remember, the millennium is a period of peace and plenty. But these factors are not enough to cause people to love and obey Jesus Christ. A child will be with a boa constrictor and it's not going to it's not going to ring out the child. Right. The whole thing of there's going to be peace in the earth. But this is not enough to make people serve Jesus Christ. You see, a perfect environment does not guarantee a perfect relationship with God. We simply just have to look back to the Garden of Eden. It was perfect. There was nothing out of place. They didn't even have to wear clothing. They weren't ashamed because they didn't even realize that that this was something unnatural. It was a natural thing. It was right. It was righteous. It was pure. There was a state of goodness and righteousness that was there. Because sin had not yet entered the world. But even in that perfect environment, they still sinned. The millennium will be no different. Just because Christ comes to reign does not mean that people are let off the hook. Every individual will have to make a decision. You see, even with Satan in prison for a thousand years, the human heart is deceitfully and desperately wicked. That's what Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 says. And this is why we have to take such a militant stance on how we oppose Satan and how we oppose our own flesh and how we oppose temptation. Because if we don't, we will fall victim to these things and we will tarnish our relationship with the Lord and we will become ineffective Christians that are just moping around talking about how hard life is. How hard life is? Look at all these people that don't got nothing. They lost everything. They worked hard. They're honest, paying, hardworking American citizens or people from other countries. And they lost everything due to the environment, due to sin in the world, which causes earthquakes, which causes hurricanes, which causes tsunamis, all that stuff, right? The reality is we need to understand our identity in Jesus Christ. When you and I truly understand who we are in Christ, we will walk in confidence, the confidence of the Lord. If he goes before you, what? What can the enemy do? I love how he says, your enemies will come one way and I will scatter them seven ways. Get them all out of the way. I don't even have to lift a finger. It's the presence of God. He goes before you. And just the same token, if we don't live in obedience, (laughs) man, we are going to be the ones that are going to be running like crazy. But the, the, but the, the premise is there. Trust in the Lord. Do what he calls us to do. Have a true, genuine conversion. Love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you will walk in confident hope every day of your life and you'll experience victory after victory after victory who who in this room doesn't want to experience that i want to experience that every second of my life even in the trials in the tribulations of life i want to be able to walk through these circumstances knowing that if he be for me who be against me I don't even want to get into it, but our, our country, we're on some whole other trip right now. Our, our country is undergirding de- demonism. De- demonic presence is so heavy in our government right now. If you look back at the Persian Empire, if you look back at the Roman Empire, if you look back at Mesopotamia, any, any civilization, and I don't know who, you probably asked Daniel about it or probably Lou, but it, I know it was written years ago. Any culture that chooses to embrace and parade on a pedestal homosexuality as it is enforcing it to do it, encouraging it to do it, that civilization will not last long. It's just as simple as a child. A square peg does not go in a round hole. I don't care what anybody says about whatever. 
It's just simple. There's certain things that are not going to reproduce life. I'm not saying my sin is any less than their sin. All I'm saying is when we embrace these ideologies, and I'll get into it in a little bit more because it's not just sexuality. It has a lot to do with race. has a lot to do with class, all that. When we start grouping everybody in, we're just becoming socialists. And I'm not making this a political thing. It's what Scripture says. Scripture says you work hard and you will earn your lot. You will earn your keep in life, whether that's little or a lot. Not give to everybody so we can all be a winner. It's not how it works. Got to learn how to lose with grace. Need to learn how to win with humility. This world is not teaching that. And, and it's sad for the children. That's why parents, uncles, aunts, grandparents in this room, you raise your children. You instill in them these Christian values because without these Christian values, they are going to perish. Because the world is telling them the complete opposite. They're God-haters. Much of what happens in the end times is meant to prove that God's judgment is well-deserved. No matter how much proof, evidence, or experience people are given, some will never submit to Jesus Christ. Those who reject Jesus have no excuse. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 and 20 tells us clearly, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. In the things that have been made, So they are without excuse. You see, we we can't pick and choose. We can't pick and choose. We either submit or we are living a lie. I beg you today, submit to the authority of God in your life. Put him number one and watch everything else work out in his perfect will, in his perfect timing. It may not be what you think. It may not be what you want. But he's going to give you what you and I need every time. Every time you can bank on it. He's the only one that keeps his promises. It's the second main point right here. Those deceived by Satan will try to come against Jesus Christ and his saints, but they will be consumed by fire. Satan's dupe followers march to the camp of the saints, which is Jerusalem. It is called the beloved city because God has set his love there in a special way. Remember, remnant, chosen, set apart. This is what this is all about. When Jerusalem rejected Jesus during his first visit to earth, Jesus cried out to the city in a display of his love. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 37, it says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, it's like anguish. The Lord's like, man, I, I, I love you so much. I try to do for you, but you just, you willfully reject me. You willfully push me out of your life. You willfully say, no, you don't, you don't, you're not who you say you are. And he's so grieved by that. The fact that Jerusalem is the object of God's love might be a good enough reason for Satan's assault on her. But there's also another reason. You see, during the millennial reign of Christ, Jerusalem serves as God's capital. Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 and 3 prophesies that during the millennium, all nations shall shall flow to the house of the Lord in Jerusalem, and the word of the Lord shall proceed from Jerusalem. That will be the epicenter of the world. And it's interesting, when you look at a map, you know, not, not a globe, but a map that's flat, Jerusalem is dead center in the middle of the earth. You look at everything. I mean, it's right there. Smack dab, that little speck of land, that is the center of the earth. You see, the devil's massive assault on Jerusalem fails because fire comes down from heaven and consumes its attackers. This will come to pass. And the third main point is this. In the end, 
Satan will be tormented forever and ever in hell. When you see this, as I was studying this week, it's very interesting because tormented and tortured are two distinct different words. Many confuse the two when people start talking about hell. People just start throwing stuff around. People say all the time that, 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 that you're going to be tortured in hell. You're, you're going to be tortured. That infers that God will be causing harm and pain to an individual. That is incorrect because God in his nature does not torture anyone. He cannot go, he can't, he can't be opposed to his nature. You see, the correct understanding of hell is what the Bible says individuals, including the devil, will be tormented tormented this infers to a haunting of a person's decision making have you ever been tormented with a bad choice you made oh man i shouldn't have made that choice i'll tell you a true story <laughs> my, my, my mom got out of the hospital this is a little lighthearted, but i'm gonna get the point across to kind of even it out but i'm still gonna get the point across because I, I i'm sensing i'm a little hardcore right now <laughs> my mom got out of the hospital and she wanted to bless the, the, the nursing staff on the floor of the transplant um, you know, uh, 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 place in UCSF. So she had Veronica and me buy a bunch of hospital appreciation, whatever, staff appreciation boxes of chocolate. And she had me get five tins of espresso chocolate covered coffee beans. There was one tin left the day we picked her up. She said, you know, go ahead, take it. It's okay. <laughs> I got on a kick, ate a couple. It was a day I was dragging at work. I told one of my coworkers, I said, hey, man, my mom, she, she put me on these chocolate-covered coffee beans. I'm like, I can't believe you can eat these things. And then this older lady, she went to Trader Joe's and bought everybody from the adult program a bag. I got one the next day, and then I was home, and I don't know, I just, I guess I must have forgot that they were coffee beans, chocolate-covered <laughs> coffee beans. I'm on the computer, and I'm popping them. I mean, I'm eating them like they're Skittles. That was, I don't know what day that was, but th Thursday comes around. I forgot that coffee is a natural laxative. I'll leave it at that. Okay? This silly illustration I'm trying to point out is... I was tormented by my foolish decision-making, and I was in and out of that toilet, that restroom, all day Thursday, and not too much, not, not TMI, but I haven't gone to the restroom since. <laughs> Everything came out, now nothing will come out. But the whole point is, I'm not being tortured. You see what I'm saying? I was tormented by my foolish decision-making. Those in hell will be tormented by the fact that they chose to go there by the rejection of Jesus Christ. Jesus speaks about everlasting fire as prepared for the devil and his angels. Matthew chapter 25 verse 41 tells us, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So the devil's punishment is part of God's eternal plan. It's not an idea that originated from the devil's final battle against God. The scheming, deceiving enemy of God and his people find his eternal dwelling in the lake of fire where the Antichrist and the false prophet have been for this thousand year period before. Together, the Antichrist, the false prophet, and the devil will suffer torment forever. You see, some individuals believe hell is a condition of suffering in this life, but this is nowhere found in the Bible and is clearly unbiblical. We understand suffering happens because of sin, because we live in a fallen world. Some people suffer more than others to some degree or another, but either way, suffering is not hell on earth. That's a worldly phrase that's been thrown around, and unfortunately, the church embraces it. Jesus told a story about the rich man who died and went to Hades. In that dreadful place of conscious suffering, torment, the rich man cried out saying, I am in anguish in this flame. You can read about that in Luke chapter 16, verse 24. You see, hell is a place that awaits all who willingly reject Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. The concept of 
The concept is real, unending suffering in the lake of fire. But this does not meet some people's understanding of God's character. They say, because oh, God's so loving. They assume that he would never send anyone to a place of unending torment. But they are actually absolutely correct in that because Jesus and God do not send anyone to hell. People go there of their own volition. The reasoning is unbiblical and contradicts what we read in this verse. God's holiness, righteousness, and justice are just as real as his love. And they have as much to do with our eternity as well. And so again, we see the importance of, 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 of receiving Christ. If you are part of that remnant, and only you know. If you look back on your life, and if you see all throughout the history of your life, different signs of the Lord trying to get a hold of you. Dare I say you are a part of that remnant. Because we, we don't come to Christ because we're good looking. We don't come to Christ because we're, we're, we're good with our words. We don't come to Christ because we're talented. We come to Christ because He snatches us up and we respond. He gives us the supernatural ability to, to be convicted Amen. of our sin and our depravity. And he gives us a supernatural ability to say, man, my life is jacked up and I can't fix myself. But Lord, thank you that you came and thought of me and that you determined that, that I have such a, a greater destiny than to just live in folly in this life. And that's all the reason why we become bond servants to him. And we willingly submit everything to him. You think of the rich young ruler. He kept every commandment. Except he could not part with the things. The stuff had such a hold on his life that the scripture says he walked away bitter. He was grieved in his heart because Jesus said, get rid of this stuff and come follow me. And he couldn't do it. What is it today in your life that you're holding on to that the Lord is saying, give it up. Just give it up. Give it over so you can be free. You see, your bank account's not going to save you. Your family's not going to save you. Your church attendance is not going to save you. It's your submission to the one and only God of this universe and your declaration that he is the Savior and Lord of your life. That profession alone will save you. But he wants everything. He doesn't want 99.9% .9 of you. It's not going to be Purell. He wants 100%. 100. Unhinged. Look at Job. He's going to give it all back, whether in this life or the next. Give it up. I I'm telling this to myself as well. I'm not just preaching to you. I need to give it up. Give it all over to him. Amen? All right, let's look at verses 7 and 8. Yeah, this is heavy stuff, man. The book of Revelation is no joke. He, he's not pulling punches. He wants this, he wants this known to you and I. He, he, he's not, we don't need charts and we don't need to be in a dark room being secretive about it. He wants everybody to know this is what's going on. So then we won't be surprised when we see all these things unfolding. And I'm so excited because some of this stuff is already packed in here. And as we unpack it, I believe through the power of the Holy Spirit, you're going to be you're, you're, you're going to witness to this and you're going to be like, yeah, I'm seeing this. Wow, Lord, this is crazy. Like you're actually this is starting to play out more and more in our world today. Seven and eight, it says, and when the thousand years ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out deceiving the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. And their number is like the sand of the sea. Just a little brief thing too. that whole and their number is going to be like the sand of the sea. That that's again telling of these generations that are going to be born during the millennial kingdom, because the sand of the sea, that's a lot of people. But that's not Abraham's sand of the sea. That's saying there's gonna, it's going to be a mixed bag. There's going to be some folks that are going to be saved, and there's going to be some folks that are going to be deceived, as what the Scripture just said, coming from Gog and Magog. Okay, Satan will be released. For the thousand years of the reign of Jesus over this earth, Satan was bound and, and inactive. But after the thousand years are over, he, he will be released successfully to organize many people of the earth into another rebellion against God. A question. If Jesus has reigned so wonderfully for a thousand years, then why will 
the earth rebel? Well, the answer is this. They will rebel. God will allow it as a final demonstration of man's rebellion and depravity. Again, you see, outward conformity to Jesus' rule will be required during his reign, but an inward embrace of his lordship will still be up to the individual. It's nothing different than today. You know, it, 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 it's not about the outside. It's not about what people see. It's what God sees. You see, many posture and pose as if they are truly converted. But it's all for show. It, it's all for stats. It's all just, you know, so they can stroke their ego. It's actually them uh, putting themselves on a pedestal and deeming themselves a demigod, really. That's really what it is. It's religious. It's not relational. They care only for the applause of men. They serve an audience of many, not an audience of one. John chapter 12, verse 43 tells us, For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Matthew chapter 23, verses 26 down through 28 tells us, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but the inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and are unclean. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. I mean, I don't know if that cuts to you, but I know the word of God cuts sharp to me and it deals with exactly what he's talking about. It's about the inward condition, the inward workings of our character and our conduct when no one is looking. You see, you cannot put on a front and show up and it'd be all good. It's either you're raw and real or you're not. That's why Michelle said, you know what? I'm, I'm telling you what's up. I, whatever. I had some little issue this morning. God, thank you for forgiving me. That's someone who is living above reproach. That's someone who is living for an audience of one. You can't come up here and fake it. You can't go anywhere and fake it. Because God will expose the true motives and things that are going on within our hearts. And he tells us, clean the inside. Create in me a clean heart. Renew in me a right spirit. Then from that, everything else flows. Not the other way around. But you see, in our culture, we're so preoccupied with the exterior of a person and the way a person looks and how these things appear that many times, unfortunately, even the church is being deceived and buying into this nonsense. That's why you got churches doing... Well, hey, come to our church. We got X, Y, and Z using worldly methods to bring people in. You don't need to use worldly examples from movies. You don't need to bring in arts and other things like that. You need to give people the word of God. Amen. That's what will transform a man or a woman or a child's soul, not these mechanisms that the world provides. You cannot use Satan's tactics to bring people to Christ. It's so real. We cannot do that. We need to rely on the word of God alone. We don't need a 12 stealth health book. We don't need a psychologist. We don't need any of those things. We need the infallible word of God. But you see, many people are afraid to get called out. Many Christians tuck tail because they don't want to be looked at as a bigot and as narrow minded. It is what it is. I'm narrow-minded. I'm on the narrow path that leads to life. I'm not on the broad road that leads to destruction. I'm not going to subscribe to every single little thing so we can all sing Kumbaya and be all cool together. No. Lightness has nothing with darkness. Now, we are to call people out of darkness, but we are not to engage in their behavior just to try to get people to come to church. That's not how it works. <sighs> In this, we see more of the important reason why God has the millennial kingdom and allowed his final rebellion, meaning Satan. Again, all throughout 
human history, man has wanted to blame his sinful condition on his environment. I'm sure you've heard these examples. Someone will say, of course I turned out this way. Don't you know the family I come from? Don't you see the neighborhood I grew up in? This is why I'm like this. This is what we're going through right now. This is real. Kamala Harris came out and said, for all these people that are going through uh, what's going on in Florida, she said, uh, people of poverty are first priority. People of color. People of color, people of poverty. She's specifying certain groups of people. Everybody got hit by that hurricane. I don't, I, don't, I don't care where you are on the social economical scale because it all falls in line with that too. I don't care what your race is. Everybody was affected. But yet we, we sit here and we prioritize. And that's not how God does. Look at our culture. Everything is based off of race and sexual orientation. People are being put into positions not because of the content of their character, but because of the color of their skin or their sexual orientation. Or maybe they don't have any sexual orientation. We're living in a very strange time right now when you can say, I'm not any sex. What? You're not any sex. Don't tell my kids that. You are a sex. You're a man or a woman. You can't just split it down the middle and say you can be whatever you want. You can't. I'm sorry, all these people that are doing that. You can't. An example of this is, this is a quote from United Airlines. They said, our flight deck should reflect the diverse group of people on board our planes every day. That's why we plan for 50% of 5,000 pilots retrained in the next decade to be women or people of color. The reality is, it shouldn't matter what color or sex you are. You just better be able to fly and land the plane. Yes. Dr. Martin Luther King said, I have a dream that my four children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. This is in line with what the Bible teaches. Not, we're going to do this just because. What? You're just going to just graduate people just because they're a certain race? You're just going to do for what? You're setting people up for failure. You're, you're, not, you're, you're, not, you're not giving people what they deserve based on what they earned. You're just saying, I'm passing the buck along so everybody. I know Lou said it before. Not everybody gets a trophy. You can't get a trophy. If you didn't get first place, you didn't get first place. <laughs> you just get a participation ribbon. Back in the day, they didn't even give you that. And you just didn't win. Go back and practice and you'll get better. We don't do that. Everybody's a winner. No, everyone's not a winner. It's not how it works. Remember Samuel going to Jesse's house to anoint the new king of Jerusalem? Jesse brought out all his strong, strapping young men. They're all swole. They got long hair. They look, they're tall. They look good. And, uh, and, and, and Samuel's like, I think this one looks like a king. But then God gave a revelation to Samuel, something very important to the prophet. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, it says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Another example, remember Gideon. Gideon started out with 32,000 men. God dwindled that number down to 300. Do you really know why? One of the main reasons was because God knew that if those 32,000 men in whole went into battle, all those that he you know, had whittled out, they would have took the glory for themselves. They wouldn't have esteemed that God was the one who brought the victory. They would have said, well, by my might, by my strength, he said, nope, get out, get out, get out, get out, get out. You're not worthy. <laughs> you don't have the right heart for the job. Once again, the Lord does not look at our outward appearance or how we try to make ourselves perceived to be to others. He looks at the heart. The application is this. You see, it's not our environment. 
It's not our skin color. It's not our sex that should hold us back or give us an advantage in this life. It is the inner person living inside of you that should determine the course of our life. And mainly the inner person of the Holy Spirit, if you're a born-again believer. This is what we are seeing played out in our text right now. With the millennial kingdom of Jesus, God will give mankind a thousand years of a perfect environment with no Satan, no crime, no violence, no evil, or any other social uh, issue. But at the end of the thousand years, man will still rebel against God at his first opportunity. Oh, man, how we forget so easily. This will powerfully demonstrate that the problem is in us, not in our environment. It is the sin nature of men and women that causes us to stumble and fall. But you see, that's not the popular answer. That's not the politically correct answer. So you have a bunch of people parading, prancing around, saying all these different ideologies that don't mean jack, when the heart of the matter is it's sin. That's a nasty little word that people don't like to say. It will be proven once more that man, whatever his advantages and environment, apart from the grace of God and new birth, remains a heart only evil and at enmity with God. Next, we see this phrase, gather them to battle. Who will these rebels be? They will be those who survive the great tribulation, enter into the millennial kingdom and their descendants. Infants born during the millennium will live to its conclusion and will not be required to make a choice between the devil and Christ until the end. Next, we see this, these names, Gog and Magog. These are prophetic enemies of Israel. You can read about that in Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39. But the battle described uh, in those chapters of Ezekiel seems to be distinct and different from this final battle. John seems to borrow these terms to use it as a symbol. The battle described here takes place before the return of Jesus, perhaps right before or during the tribulation period. The final battle clearly takes place at the end of the thousand-year reign of Jesus. And this leads us to our last two verses of the morning, verses 9 and 10. And it says, And they marched over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camps of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they were tormented day and night forever and ever ever hallelujah amen praise you lord jesus because that's going to be just the end of all this this suffering and pain surrounding the camp of the saints and the beloved city that's the statement we see here we don't know if this saints refer to here our glorified saints who reign with jesus or earth inhabitants who come to faith in jesus christ during the millennium either way the strategy of this vast satanic army is clear, to destroy God's people and the headquarters or the capital city of his administration, which is Jerusalem, the beloved city. Once again, this reveals Satan's one goal, to seek, kill, and destroy. That's it. That's all he wants to do. You know, at the end of the day, right, he comes disguising himself as an angel of light, deceiving people. Um, saying, you're going to get this, you're going to get that, you're going to have pleasure, you're going to have success, worldly success. But those are just ploys to destroy your soul. <laughs> what will a man or woman give in exchange for their soul is what the Bible says. And Satan will come, and since he's been studying your grandpappy and your great-grandpappy and your pappy, <laughs> he knows what your vices are. And so he's going to come with a tailor-made package just for you and just for me, and say, I'll entice you here. Will you be that foolish person and take that carrot and bite? Or will you repel him through the power of the Holy Spirit? But this is what Satan does. His, his, his whole MO is to seek to kill and destroy. The application is this. Satan is not your friend. He is not passive. He is not calm. He breeds confusion, destruction, and evil of every kind. And that's how you can know clearly what spirit is talking to you. What spirit is trying to influence you? Is it a spirit of confusion? Is it a spirit of destruction? Is it a spirit of gossip and slander? Is it a spirit of every kind of evil? Then you know, you stay clear of all that. It's like, man, depart from me. That's why Jesus had to tell uh, Peter, he said, eh, 
Get behind me, Satan. He said the same thing to Peter that he said to Satan in the wilderness. He said, get behind me, man. Right now you're being influenced by a satanic spirit telling me I ain't going to go to the cross. Do you know I have to shed my blood for the sins of the world? Peter, come on, man. But that's another reminder to us. We gotta, we gotta guard ourselves because in the same instance, we're over here, and 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 the Lord saying, "Man, upon this proclamation that you made, man, I'm gonna build the foundations of my church." And in the next minute, he's saying, "Get behind me, Satan!" So we cannot let ourselves be deceived. That's why, again, insulated with truth all the time, always aware, cognizant of what's going on. That starts from being on your knees, being in the Word on a regular basis. That's how you and I can sidestep. Pull a Barry Sanders or a Deion Sanders. I'm juking all these pitfalls because you're in the word of God. But if you're not in the word of God, you're going to fall victim to all this stuff and then be wondering what the heck happened to you. Stick to the script. <laughs> Amen. Stick to the scripture. This so is so important. I just pray that y'all just fall in love so deeply with the word. That you're just so enamored by the word of God that it just it just... You're just consumed with it. It's just like, man, I, yeah, I'm rocking. I don't care. I'm rocking Jesus shirts. I'm using Jesus mugs. I seen this one dude. I seen this, um, this, this is a side thing. I, I got a little bit of time. <laughs> oh, Mr. Longwinded. I know Lou's back there now. Another story. This dude. But no, man, I seen, I see, he could, he could have been, I thought he was uh, Middle Eastern for sure. You know, uh, he's in like kind of old school uh, SUV, um, Mercedes Benz, like a, uh, yeah. And uh, I just, I didn't see him at first. All I saw was the stickers. And like, Jesus on the back of the, 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 the window. Uh, scripture, this, Jesus there. I was like, what in the world? And then, uh, you know, his, uh, his license plate had, had something on it, you know, about God or whatever. It was a, you know, specially made, custom made license plate. But I just thought that was cool. Because it's like, this dude is not ashamed. He's like, I, I don't care. I don't care. Y'all see me. I'm all about Jesus. And, you know, hopefully, you know, the conduct of his character matches what his car looks like. But the whole point is he wasn't ashamed to be identified with Christ. That's the whole thing about water baptism. That's why water baptism is so significant. Because it puts the devil, it puts these demons, and it puts the world on notice that you ain't ashamed to say, I identify with Jesus Christ as my Savior and my Lord, so I'm going to make a public profession of my faith. That's the importance. I don't want, ever want uh, people to think that I ever down water baptism because I do say that you don't have to be. I believe Scripture teaches you don't have to be water, baptized in water to be saved because we know the thief on the cross didn't come down for that cross to get saved. But if any in well reason, just like that Ethiopian eunuch, man, it is a body of water. You better get, you better put yourself under or at least let somebody drop water on you because you're saying I'm professing that I identify with Christ. That's just a side note. Uh, let's see. And Zoom just went out. Sorry, mom. James Chapter 4, verse 7 says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You see, the, the devil doesn't have any influence, influence over your life. He, he will flee from you. But the key to him fleeing from you is your submission and my submission to Jesus Christ. Many Christians wonder, why can't I get continued victory in my life over Satan and his demons? The answer lies in the area of submission to Jesus Christ. If we are not living a continuous life fully surrendered and committed to Jesus Christ, then you can pretty much forget about the devil fleeing from you. He's actually going to come in and move in and he's going to be in your bed with you. He's going to be all in your head and he's going to be all over you because of your lack of submission to Christ. That's just the truth. I can't candy coat it. I can't paint it no other way. But if you, and this is the caveat, but if you surrender all to Christ alone, the enemy has to flee. He has to flee. And I'm going to end with this last, last two points. Michelle, wanna, Isaiah, want to come up in a few moments. It's fine. Fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. We shouldn't even call this a final battle because it's not a battle. The fight is over before it even begins. It's like the Alabama Crimson Tide versus an 8 and 10 year old junior peewee football team. I mean, it's no competition. These little kids are going to be broken, battered, and bruised, broken necks, helmets all over the floor. I mean, these kids are going to get annihilated. That's what it is between God and Satan. It's not even a match. He's just going to destroy, for lack of better words, these fools. 
sorry, Lord, it came out. He's just going to obliterate them, and it's going to be a wrap. It's going to be like a hot pocket in the microwave. Put it in too long, thing is toast. It's done. It's done, Dilly. You can't even eat it. At this point, God finally deals with the devil and all of his followers forever. Cast into the lake of fire, they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. After this one-sided battle, Satan is then judged and tormented forever, together with the beast and the false prophet who were cast into the lake of fire at the beginning of the thousand years. In eternal punishment, a thousand years is just the beginning. Just the beginning. It never ends. I can't wrap my mind around that. Forever and ever. Is this real eternal punishment? Yes, it is. The word means exactly what they appear to mean. They would not, there would be no way possible in the Greek language to state more emphatically the everlasting punishment of the lost than here mentioning both day and night and the expression of forever and ever, literally to the age of ages, not even the end of the age because it never ends, right? So this is the whole thing. Life and death. God puts before us life and death. Today, simply, let's just choose life. Amen? Choose life. Father God, we thank you that you give us the opportunity to choose. Lord, you reveal yourself to us in such a way that you make it abundantly clear. Going against you never works. We always fail when we go against you. Father, help us to submit to the call on our lives. May we be those who walk in step in obedience to the call on our lives to be commissioned to live out this gospel. May you use us in a mighty way to reach people in this world. May we be bold in sharing our faith because if not, these people stand to fall into hell and be there for eternity. That's not the place that you call for your people. So, Lord, please have mercy upon us. Be gracious to us. Give us what we need. Give us today our daily bread. Father, we thank you and love you. In Jesus Christ's precious name we pray.